come to that moment in time where we talk about uh, how God has been at work. What have you seen of the Lord this last week? Uh, what scripture did you read? When did God say, hey, pay attention to that? That's important. Um, that's something that you need to recognize as uh, wisdom from me or uh, something you need to respond to or whatever. So this is our opportunity as a body to work together and, and say uh, how God's been speaking to us and showing us during the last seven days since the last time we were here. And so what have you seen? What have you heard from the Lord this week? Anybody? Go to point I got this uh, uh, book. It's kind of cool. I got it like I was going to my mom and dad's uh, um, anniversary, and uh, I went to the church. It's like my other church, you know, um, at, in, in their in her town, and, uh, and uh, I just had this book, and I picked it up. You know, it wasn't a book I bought or I saw. This was given to me, and it's built like as a gift from God. And, and uh, it's called uh, Paul David Trip. It's called Parenting, the 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family. It is just Absolutely. And I saw I was going to read a couple things from it. Um, there's one in on grace. And uh, what I thought was really cool, it talks about, you know, we have to, our uh, past grace that he died for our transgressions. Then there's future grace and we go beyond, we'll be in heaven with him. Right. It, it was talking about uh, present grace. And it was talking about our inability. This is what it said. It says, um, inability doesn't mean that God has made a massive mistake by giving you children. And somehow he's gotten the wrong address. Or your children would be better off elsewhere. Rather than your inability to be in the way of God's plan, it is part of His plan. He knows that parents who admit that they are inadequate and run to God make the best parents. You see that He doesn't ask you to be able, He asks you to be willing. If you're willing, He will meet you in your weakness and change you. And as He changes you, He will work good things though through you into your hearts and the lives of your children. There's so much more about right there is one of like the other part of like and if anyone wants to borrow this book, let me know. I was actually gonna hand out some money, but um I've also might get some copies too. Just let me know if you guys are interested. But um says this it says God never calls us to a task without giving us what we need to do or what we need to do it. God never sends you in anything without going with you. He never tells you to do something without giving you what you need to do. This is the story of the whole Bible. This is why God sent his son to earth. There is only one hero in the Bible. Every other character is flawed in some way. God is the hero of every story in the Bible. In fact, the Bible is not a collection of stories, but one big story with lots of chapters. It's a story of how God meets weak and failing people with his powerful grace. Amen. Amen. That's one of my favorite sayings. God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the call. Amen. Anybody else? We got the light station yesterday working, and Josh and uh, uh, Dan Rose, who was with us, very first, worked there as well. And Isaiah was on the road taking deliveries, and um, I happened to step into the lobby. It was the first time I was in the lobby all day. And um, we could, we only run deliveries on Saturdays. We don't do pickup. So unless we have an appointment, I'm not in the lobby at all. So I hadn't been in the lobby all day. And I just had the desk. And as I sat there, there was a, a rattling of the doorknob. Somebody was trying to get in. And I was like, oh, it's okay. You know, we don't, we don't do walk-ups on Saturday. And, and the Lord kind of provoked my heart. And I said, well, I better help him if I can. So as I walked the door, she already got in her car. Now, you may, you may or may not know me before I was saved. Just remember that I'm not... I, in talking to people that I don't know, I was never a person to push past barriers. Um, like, I was that guy who wouldn't uh, risk anybody looking 
at me in a way, you know, thinking down with me or bad at me or whatever. And so I got to the door, she got a car, I thought, oh no, well, she'll come back Monday. And then the Lord said, no, and so I opened the door and I walked out there and she's in the car, she starts the car, and she starts the car, oh no, it's some, um, you know, she's too late now, I can't talk to her, you know, it's too late now. And then I went up to the door, the window, her window was rolled down the passenger window, which was interesting because it was warm and if it hadn't been warm, the window probably wouldn't have been rolled down. I don't know, maybe she's like me and her AC doesn't work. But anyway, I walked up to the window and I said, uh, was that you just at the door? And she said, yeah. And I said, do you need, did you need help? And she said, yeah. She said, I've been trying to get her all week, but I didn't make it. I've been having some troubles and um, I was hoping to get food. And I said, well, turn the car off. Let's go. And I'll take care of it. So we'll go back to the light station. And the end of the story is really cool because she prayed while she praying to accept Christ. But that was, well, that's really cool. That was the point of what God said to me, pay attention to that. It was as I was sitting at the desk and I was busy, I was sending texts, important texts, right? In fact, what was scary was after I did all that, I almost forgot to send one of the important texts that I needed to send, you know? So I was sending important texts and I'm saying, well, how importantly busy I was, and the Lord said, get up and go to the door. Then I'm like, well, she's, she's there and she could come back on Monday. She's not supposed to come today anyway, so no big deal. And I didn't know it was a woman. I didn't know who it was. as the curtain blocked the door. And... And I would have in the past made that excuse. I would have said, no, it's no problem. I'm not going to do it. But the Lord said, do it. And then I get to the door, and I saw her getting in the car. I'm like, oh, it's too late. No, guys, it's not too late. And I open the door, and I walk outside. She starts the car. She's ready to pull away. And I said, oh, it's too late. And the Lord said, no, it's not too late. And what the Lord said to me as I was walking back, before she ever wound up praying, and I don't know, maybe it added confidence to my presentation or whatever, but before that ever happened, what the Lord said to me was, see, my people are people who don't say it's too late, it's too hard, that there's a barrier, that there's a reason or an excuse to quit, to stop, to give in. My people don't do that. And I thought, you know what's really sad is as one of God's people, I have done that. And I think that the church at large has done that. And I think that's, that's God would just say that's not who we're supposed to be. Um, and I don't want to get into the sermon for today because it really touched my heart and it may come up then, but I do want to say, I feel like God was saying to us, every time you think there is an excuse, every time you think there is a reason, that excuse or that reason is actually a prodding or an encouragement to do exactly what it is that God would have you to do over top of that escape that, escape that you might have. You might say, well, I'm not going to do it. Because X, and as soon as you think X, you need to go, but that's exactly why I need to do it. I need to do it because God's people are a people that don't quit. Don't take the excuse. They don't back down. They go past the barriers. They reach people. They love people. We love love the unlovable. Jesus prayed for those who were crucifying him while they were crucifying him. If that's the standard... I'm not sure how well we're living up to that standard, but I would just say we need to push past the barriers and love people and reach out and find people. And, um, and I think there's a spiritual awakening happening. I think there are people that are right now open to the discussions of God, open to the things of the Bible that have maybe not been in their whole lives. They might be 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, and right now they're going, no, what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling, what's going on, God is an answer. And they don't know whether God is the answer or not, and we need to show up and show him that he's the answer and ask them to believe him. And I think they will. And so I was very encouraged by that experience. Um, and, and I think she was too, and I was hoping to see her here this morning. But, uh, so, but who knows? So if you're watching, 
uh, we, we're going to pray for you in a minute, and um, and then we'll pray for ourselves to press past those barriers as we transition to tithes and offerings. Is there anybody else that really needs to say something or you really have something on your heart this morning? Okay, well, let's pray together, and uh, I'm going to pray. I will name her in my prayer. Uh, her name is Carmen, and um, and then I'll also pray for our tithes and offerings. I'll also pray for a transition to the the rest of our worship and lesson and so on. You pray with me. Father in heaven, we come to you in unity. We come to you in equality. Not equality like we are the same individually, but equality like each of us is uniquely made in your image and each of us has, has the ability to be in relationship with you, an ability that you bestowed in us from the beginning of time and have brought to pass through your Son, Jesus Christ. We come to you in unity today. And we lift up this laundry list of things. We are under great pressures from a pandemic and political and civil unrest and and desperate need for wisdom to know how to do the right thing in this day. The thing that honors you. The thing that could bring people to you. But we also, also ask that you forgive us where we failed you. Because if we are a people that presses past barriers, if we are a people that redeems everything we touch, if we are a people that brings the redemption word into lives so that people can figure out that God really loves them, that, that he wants a relationship with them, that he's paid for all of it, that he's, he's made it possible, if we are that people, then we have not been that people the way we should have been. So we ask your forgiveness, Lord, and we're grateful that it is available through Jesus, your son. We pray very specifically for those, and there's a... It's not a short list for those who committed to be here today. And we pray very specifically for Carmen, Lord. I'm quite certain that she would have had to have pressed past the barriers to be able to be here this morning, having just been born again yesterday. I would just ask you, Lord, that you would teach the babes in Christ how to crawl, how to crawl in your direction, in the direction that you would take them. Where we are babes in Christ, we ask you to teach us how to crawl. We ask you to teach us how to eat so we can be fed, both physically and spiritually. Lord, that we can be healthy and strong. As we go into the latter portion of our worship, we ask you to help us lift up praises to you. We ask you to help us honor you with our tithes and offerings, which are really yours anyway. We ask you to help the teachers teach an amazing, power-packed, God-inspired lesson from the Bible. As Brother um, Tony Kate just read, that story that really is all about you and every hero's life, everybody that anyone would look up to in scripture is not really a hero, they're just a people looking up to you, and that we would do that, and that we would put our eyes on the shepherd as we go to the word, and we would let you lead us and, and grow us individually and corporately, and we just ask you, Father, for your will to be done here on the earth, here in this place at least, let us be planted firmly within the house of the Lord. And then flourish in the temples of our God. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
uh, partially because I am overcoming an asthma attack this morning, but also because this song um, really speaks to me with a message that is kind of an anthem for those particular moments when you are overcoming those barriers.
time just as a reminder of where we've been, and then I'll kind of bring it together with what we're going to look at today. Uh, Brother Josh is going to play a little uh, podcast excerpt. This comes from the New Heights Fellowship Podcast website. August 9th, the transition. Two ways it won't work. If you have left the way, I'm not saying you'll lose your salvation, but you cannot go deeper, you cannot learn more, you cannot live the things that really free a person up in God. You cannot live on the other side of the transition if you've left the way, because God's help is needed to make the transition. Every time we need to make the transition. Also, you can't do it or you won't do it if you're dull of hearing. You should be teachers, at least in the ministry of reconciliation, teaching the basic things of Christianity. Foundational Teachings, Part 1, August 16th. It does not have faith in Jesus above all as your motivator for everything that you do. If, it, if, if you have not testified before people that you have been washed by Jesus and that you're living only for Him now through baptism and hopefully every day through the speaking of your mouth, if you have not practiced the laying on of hands and gone out and loved on people and touched them so that they can receive that which God has blessed you with freely you have given, freely you have been given, freely you should give. If you have not thought daily about the fact that you are not going to die and stay dead, you are going to die and go to heaven if Jesus doesn't come again first. Amen. If you have not realized that you have been exempted from the eternal judgment, that you have escaped hell by the love of a living Savior, then the doctrine of Christ probably really doesn't make all that much sense to you. You're not ready to make a transition into deeper teaching and a better understanding. Thank you. A better understanding because you're still resisting the fundamental, the foundation. Your house is all jiggy jaggy. And now if we try to go in, you're going to chafe against we're like, I don't know. He's talking about you actually are you trying to tell me that when I'm talking to somebody about Jesus, and I seem to be getting through to them, but from August twenty-third, the foundational teachings. Mark off or push away or have nothing to do with the other things that come in that aren't in line with the foundation. I'm asking you to do that because it's dangerous to be a Christian in this lifetime. A high priest forever from August 30th. You can only get to heaven by allowing Jesus to eternally intercede for you. First, with repentance from dead works, and onward through faith, fellowship with other believers, and putting behind the old dead you, and living forward, reaching for what God would have for you. He was a sufficient sacrifice, September 6, 2020. Necessary sacrifice, the New Deal. The New Testament, September 13, 2020. Let me not be downtrodden. Yes, I'll be surrounded by enemies, but I know from where my help comes. Yes, I will fall, but the righteous man falls and gets up again seven times. There is already a deal on the table. Take it! It's the best you're going to get. Lest you find yourself begging for a drip of water from a dead man who did take the deal. The judgment has already begun. September 20th, 2020. They were supposed to go past the fines, the fees, everything. 
And there are people out there today, in order to be able to come to worship, who are experiencing those same things in different formats. I understand, but they're experiencing the same things. And yet, they know in their heart of hearts, as we talked about last week, the new covenant is, I will write my commands upon their heart, and I'll put them in their mind. You know when you know what you're supposed to do. And you know where you're supposed to be if you're in a relationship with Christ. And when you stand before Him and He says, Can you pay? You better be able to say, No. I can't pay. But Jesus paid it all for me. And we don't shrink back. We live that today. And the confidence we have in Jesus, September 27th, August 9th, <laughs> And so then on the 27th, we talked about the confidence we have in Jesus. And we were reminded that confidence in the biblical sense does not simply mean uh, the ability to press parents' barriers and do what we're supposed to do, but also that boldness, that desire to be seen, not to be seen for our own sake, to be seen to be able to point to our Savior, that we would be, uh, we would be good at Speaking up, speaking out, seeming different so that we can then tell people about Jesus. And then last week we talked about faith and the faraway finish line and continuing the course. So if you've been following that train of thought, and each one of those was just short excerpts, those were the actual uh, me preaching standing right here recorded and then kind of pulled out of those sermons. They're just to remind us where we've gone, where we've been, what we've been trying to do. So we're, as we look at these texts today, you need to realize that we are, uh, that we are long into, we've now, we're talking about the teachings that would be part of what's after the transition. And so as we talk about these things, they can be offensive. They can not only be bothersome and call you to go somewhere that you would not normally want to go. It is these very things that we're talking about that have caused 19-year-olds to go, I want to be a missionary in Uganda and to give 40 years of their life, of their life telling people about Jesus. And if you're a parent, you might go, I don't want my 19-year-old to do that. But it's these very teachings that have allowed parents to release their children into the mission field. It's these very teachings that have taken people from, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and I'm beginning to live for him, to now I'm on the other side of some very difficult things or some very challenging things or some very big opportunities, and I maybe I made it, maybe I blew it, maybe I did what I was supposed to, maybe I didn't, and now we're past those that sort of shallow water, and we're actually living for God on a daily basis and making difficult decisions on what we're supposed to do. That's where we're now at as we look at this today. Last week, we talked about faith and a faraway finish line. This is the way it's going to be until Jesus comes again. So when people accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and they basically stay right there. They don't get outside their box. They don't reach out to, to worship. They don't reach out to give. They don't reach out to serve. They don't go the extra mile and push past things that would stop them from doing that. They just sort of stay in the shallow water. It doesn't mean they're not saved. We're not talking about shallow water now. So the message that I'm going to share with you today, understand that if you're still in the shallow water, you're going to find certain things offensive. There are things that you're going to go, oh, I don't, I don't really care for that notion. But if you're willing to make the transition, then today could be the day that you make it. Or if you've already made the transition, then you're going to go, yeah, this, this sort of makes sense to me. It's not a pat on the back per se, but it is an encouragement for, you to, for me to understand that what God is doing in my life actually is this biblical picture that we're looking at, okay? And so today's title for the sermon, as you can see, is Straight and Strong. 
And the author of Hebrews would call us to that then after having made the the transition. I want to share with you very briefly a simple illustration that I think will lead us in the text, and I'll ask you to keep it in mind as we um, read the 17 verses that we're going to read today. Okay, So uh, we took um, our daughters, Brother Tony and I, and um, Brother Tim was there, I believe, and Anyway, it was in the early days of New Heights, and we, took, we had a father-daughter camp out. And when we went on the camp out, we decided we were going to really kind of live it up. And we walked all around the campground, did all kind of cool things. We went canoeing and stuff. And one of the things we did was we rented three-wheel bikes. And I'm about to tell you this story. It's a little embarrassing, but it was a very, very formative story in my young Christian uh, life as a pastor, anyway, because I was a mission pastor of New Heights at that time. So we rented the three-wheel bikes, and the way those bikes work is there's a center wheel in the front, two wheels in the back, and then your seat is suspended between the wheels. You have handles, and the handles basically are for braking, um, but they're also for um, they, to keep you from tipping. So you're sitting suspended in the seat. If you tip to the right, the bike turns to the right. If you tip to the left, the bike turns to the left. Then it's very, very agile, very quick to turn. Turn a 90-degree turn at 10 mile an hour, just, just like that. Well, as soon as we rented the bikes and we figured out how to use them, we started to go downhill. Uh, Brother Tony was walking along. He had decided not to rent one of the bikes, but he was walking along uh, over there. I could see him walking. And I don't know if he witnessed the event. I don't remember if he witnessed the event or not, but he came right afterwards. And what happened was as I was going down the hill, the bike started to go a little bit to the right. And so I made a quick adjustment to get it back to center so I could go straight. And then when I did that, I over-adjusted and the bike went just a little bit to the left. And then a little bit to the right. And every time I would try to adjust the bike and get it centered up again, the adjustment that I had to make was more radical. So I was swaying way further to the right. I had to adjust more back to the left, but I didn't hit the mark exactly. So then I went way to the left. And it got worse and worse. And all of a sudden, the bike just sort of went poof and flipped up into the air over the front wheel. And I went scattered on the gravel and I ground up my arm and tore my pant leg and whatever, or, or tore up my knee, I think, because I was wearing shorts. And uh, Brother Tony came running over to see if I was okay. And I was okay, but I was pretty dinged up. And then I got back on the bike and I did it again and I didn't crash after that. I learned in that moment in time that making the adjustments that are necessary in our lives can lead us to making too radical of an adjustment, which then requires an adjustment, which is even more radical than the last. I was watching a, a, a show on TV, um, and one of the characters, with uh, I think Ariana and Sherry, and one of the characters was talking about how when you tell a lie, it then you then tell even more lies to cover up that lie, and you wind up having more and more grandness to your lies, or more and more creativeness, or more and more things to keep track of. And it's kind of like that. When you do, when you get off course just a little bit and then try to redirect to get back on course, you don't get back on course. You miss it by a little bit and then you have to redirect again. The hope would be that the redirections would get smaller and smaller until you're really on course, but it really never happens that way in, in practical living. You miss the mark and go, man. And how often do people go like, uh, now I've had three or four conversations with my boss at work and that's it. I'm just going to quit. Right? Or how often do people say, well, we just can't seem to be happy together and say, that's it, I'm just going to get a divorce. Right? And what has happened in that moment in time is there were so many minor adjustments, so many corrections attempted that we finally said, that's enough corrections. And we blow it up. We toss the bike in the air. We, we bail out. Um, and there's no more corrections because the thing ceases to exist in the way that it did. 
Okay, I want you to bear that in mind then as we look at this text today. The first three verses we actually read last week, and they're just so good, we're going to read them again. So maybe you'd give me an amen or who to holler or something as we dive into Hebrews chapter 12. Amen. Amen. Thank you for a few folks who are on board with me. That is just a, just a psychological marking, a reminder that we are now turning it over to the text of God. Whatever I get right or don't get right, if we listen to the word of God, you can be changed. I can be changed. In fact, I already have been changed in the writing of this message, so I can guarantee that's true. Okay, so here we go. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's verses 1 and 2, but you'll notice it's all one sentence. Pretty powerful sentence at that. So basically, the author of Hebrews is asking us to, since we now see, and and chapter 11 was all about those quote-unquote heroes of the faith that we've already been reminded twice today since we've been here, that those heroes of the faith are not the heroes, right? God is the hero. Jesus is the hero. Our God is the hero. The rest of us are sort of just kind of like satellites, if you will. And if, as those people's lives revolved around God, they did amazing things. And, and, and as we see God doing those amazing things in a people that ran the race that way, we should be encouraged to win, to run the race the same way with our eyes on Jesus. I'm reminded that um, how the sheep sort of follow out the shepherd, and more often than not, the shepherd doesn't have to make a noise. They don't have to do anything, really. They just walk ahead of the sheep, and their sheep know them, and so the sheep just follow them. And they keep their eyes on the shepherd. They don't get lost, but occasionally they'll get their eyes off on some water or a particular tuft of grass that looks interesting or other sheep or or the sheep dog, and they'll start to sort of fade away and go in the wrong directions. But when they get their eyes on the shepherd, they can easily follow him, and he will take them to green pastures. This is what the author of Hebrews is calling us to. Put your eyes where they belong and stay on course. We have such a great cloud of witnesses showing us that that's the right thing to do. Verse 3 says, For consider him who was who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. So the end of verse 2 and verse 3 combines together to show us that we can consider Jesus and Jesus' suffering, his sacrifice. Let's, let's be realistic. Jesus endured what you and I would never want to endure in order to carry out the mission of God. Nobody here wants to be crucified. I I submit to you, you could be dying from cancer in a vat of acid, burning alive your flesh, being removed off your skin, and you still would not want to be crucified. doesn't matter because crucifixion is a a long, painful, slow. It's like suffocating while bleeding, while joints stretched out, filleted skin off your back, grinding it along the wood to be able to exhale so you can take another breath. It is a horrible experience. They invented the word excruciating for the pain of crucifixion because it is the only pain, the only thing that has pain like that. Okay, We would not want to go through what Jesus did in order to accomplish what Jesus accomplished, but Jesus did go through what he did in order to accomplish it. And if if, if our Savior, our Lord, our example, Jesus, can go through that to accomplish what God set before him, and we're not even asked to go through that, but we are probably asked to go through some things that we also might not like to go through. Basically, the author of Hebrews says, so keep your eyes fixed on him and realize that by his example, you can literally overcome whatever you are facing. You can go through there. You do not need to grow weary and lose heart because look at the example of Jesus. 
We have a cloud of witnesses of those who did not grow weary and lose heart. They also did not ever see Jesus in their lifetime. But we did see Jesus. We have known Jesus is real. We have seen in history that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, that he did amazing miracles. And we can look at his example and not grow weary and not lose heart, even if, God forbid, we should be required to be crucified. Verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. So we take this from the back to the front. First of all, sin is when you don't do what God wants you to do or when you do what God doesn't want you to do. That's sin. It's simple. And basically, he's simply saying, you have not put in that kind of effort, the kind of effort that Jesus put in on the cross. You have not put in that kind of effort. You have not even bled, literally not even bled, to avoid sin. Now, most of us have bled, and most of us have avoided sin, and most of us have done sin. But in order for this statement to not be true of us, we would have to have bled specifically not to sin. So you would have to literally pitch yourself, put yourself in the way of the, the hazards of life and suffer in order to not sin. So in order to not lie, you have to actually take a punch. In order to not steal, you might have had to actually uh, go without, starve or, or bleed specifically because you weren't willing to take it yourself. He says, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. Notice that and in there, it's really important. He says, you have not strived against sin so strongly that you have bled or truly suffered. That's what he first said, the author first says. And then says, and you have forgotten in the midst of all this, you have forgotten the exhortation, which is the encouragement, the, the thing that you need to understand, which is addressed to you as sons. My son, Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. That means corrected or punished to go in the right direction. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. And so what what the author of Hebrews is reminding us is that there is no Christian journey. There is no following of Christ. There is no going God's way for you that does not go through difficulty. Even to the point he uses the imagery of being scourged, which is whipped, filleted. <laughs> literally have the skin whipped off your body. And this doesn't mean that everybody is going to be literally whipped, but he means we are going to go through difficulty. And that's where you can find it all throughout the Bible. It's not what we're going to talk about, but you can find it all throughout the Bible, the principle of suffering with the Savior. And they praised God that they were found worthy, Acts 4, to suffer the way Jesus had suffered. There is no Christian life without difficulty. There is no Christian life without suffering. I'm going to submit to you that there is no Christian life. If you live your whole life, there is no Christian life. Hear me now, this is important. There is no following Jesus lest you are willing to bleed to avoid sinning against God. If your Christianity is tiresome to you, if the compulsion to do what is right exhausts you, If your desires overtake the desire of your heart to serve God, if you're more concerned about whatever it is that's in your life that's entertaining you or bothering you or blessing you or showing you or showing up for you, or if you're more concerned about one of those, any one of those things, than your legitimate following of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you are probably not following Jesus. Because there is no Christian life that does not go through. I'm going to say it this way. 
that does not go through things that are more difficult, more trying, and more dangerous than any normal individual would ever put themselves in line for. The imagery here is that you actually could, Jesus said it himself, take up your cross daily. That doesn't mean that you have to bear your own burdens. Right? It doesn't mean that at all because Christ bears our burdens. So that's not all what he was talking about. He's talking about actual crucifixion and suffering. So he's saying you have to be willing, right? Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. You'd have to be willing to literally be crucified. You're willing, not that you should have to do it, but you're willing every day. That's what Jesus calls being a follower of Jesus. Now understand, it's a little deeper and a little more difficult to swallow than the, hey, if you believe in Jesus, you'll be saved and go to heaven. For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You just need to believe in Jesus. That's all you need to do, and you'll get to heaven. And I am not in any way saying that that's not true. Every bit of scripture is true. We understand faith as a fundamental teaching, and grace delivers salvation through that faith. We understand that as a fundamental teaching. You cannot dismiss the fundamental teachings. But the fundamental teachings of Jesus do not inherently lead a person to accept and understand this deeper teaching, which is that you don't get from where you are to where you want to go. Where you are is not all that great. Where you want to go is everything great. And between here and there is a lot of places where it's way worse than not all that great. This is the cost we count. But the problem is, Remember earlier on in Hebrews? So y'all ought to be teachers by now. So we're going to leave behind the fundamental teachings and go into something a little bit deeper. But the truth is you really just want the milk. You want the easy stuff. That's what he's saying. These people that he was writing to, he was saying, you're at that place where you just want the easy stuff. Now I'm a follower of Jesus. So now my finances are going to line up. Now my relationships are all going to be good. I'll always have the right thing to say. And they'll always say good things to me. And I'll be, we'll all just be peachy keen, as my friend Tim likes to say. But that is not the Christianity that Jesus is talking about. You want to be peachy keen? I'll tell you how to do it. You want to always be okay? I'll tell you how to do it. Get saved. Believe in Jesus. Don't leave that out because there is an eternity in which you will not be okay without that. But after believing in Jesus, stay in the shallow water. Don't try to go deeper. Don't actually try to do anything for yourself in heaven or, or let God reward any of your... Don't, you know, just understand that you know, I, I just give myself into a laundry list of bad deeds and, and I'll try to be better, but I just know I'm going to fail. I'll try to be strong, but I just know I'll always make mistakes. I'll try to understand, but I'm not just going to read the Bible and actually dig into it and see what it says because that's going to just make it harder, you know? Don't do any of that. Don't go deeper. To become dull of hearing. And as a dull of hearing person, your life can be pretty good because you won't hear the doorknobs rattle. You won't hear the people that are crying out in pain and suffering and have an empty soul and need God. And you won't have to go to minister to them and you won't have to tell them about Jesus because you won't hear it because you're dull of hearing. That's how you live a life that's always going to be like that. It isn't actually always going to be like that, is it? There will still be suffering. But you, in your dullness, will think, you know, this is just the way it is. And this is what lost people do all the time. They do it every day. They justify the difficulties that they're going through because everybody goes through them. 
They justify the loneliness that they're experiencing, the aching heart that they have, the open wound that's in their soul, because everybody has that. This is just the human condition. And they accept it for what it is. And so then they don't accept Jesus Christ. And then some people do accept Jesus Christ, and then they do the same thing. They make excuses, they come up with reasons why it's just got to be this way. Now, I'm not saying that they're saying that people who have accepted Jesus Christ are staying in the shallow water are saying, well, I'm not going to do anything for the Lord. Usually they do. They usually think they're going to do something for Jesus. Like, I think I know what God wants me to do, and they go about doing it. But they do that thing to the exclusion of the thing that they actually should be doing for God. It's very easy to do. The enemy has perfected it over the last 10,000 years or so. The world has woven it deeply into everyone's lives. And it used to be there was no social media, no cell phones, no TV or whatever. And people actually talked to people. And the discourse that took place between people was the world saying, you don't, you don't need that Jesus stuff. And actual people in the kingdom saying, but actually you do need that Jesus stuff. And the battle is the same today, just different terrain features. They had come to the place where they had forgotten the exhortation. Where God says, if you are truly following me, it will be difficult at times. And you will push through. You will be victorious, but you will pay. Victories are not won without sacrifices. Victories are not won without casualties. Victories are not won without pain and suffering. Yes, Jesus has won the ultimate victory. Yes, you're on the way to heaven. But your development, your growth, your discipleship in Christ, your ability to lead others to Him, your ability to do the deeper things that He has led you to do, that He, that he is preparing you for. There is a greater future in suffering for Jesus while at the same time advancing the kingdom of God and, and, and building relationship between God and men than there is in just going, well, I'm just going to take it easy. And we are called not to just take it easy, but to expect this discipline, to expect to be reproved, to expect the scourging. Because it says he scourges every son whom he receives. Verse 7 says, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You see, so if you are without discipline of which all have become takers. So what is he saying? How is somebody who has become a partaker of discipline going to be also without discipline? they got to be ignorant. It's happening, but they don't realize it. Or they have to be dull of hearing. It's happening, but they don't want to realize it. Or they got to be off the way. So they accept Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. They believe, but then now after they believe, they say, well, I'm going to not do really the things that God wants me to do. So they're off the way. So God is not making it evident to them. They're still facing the discipline. He says, but then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So it's truly dangerous to not accept Jesus Christ as Lord in the first place because you're probably not saved then. So those who accept Jesus only as Savior and not Lord, they're not actually saved. They're illegitimate sons. But those who accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, but then forget the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons, verses 5 and 6, they will not grow, they will not push past, they will not, in the deep teachings of Christ, flourish and take deep roots in the kingdom of God. Verse 8 says, But if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. We're going to talk about discipline in the points. Verse 9, Furthermore, 
we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? In other words, if you, if you realize that your father, whether he got it all right or all wrong or whatever, but he was trying his best and he was trying to lead you and you respect him for making an effort, you wouldn't be here without your father, if you, your human father. And if you respect that, then ought you not all that much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Because he actually knows how to be a good dad. He actually knows how to provide. He knows all the future will bring. He knows all the barriers you'll face. Should we not be subject to him and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seems best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Ultimately, that is the goal. Holiness, set-apartness, sanctified, complete in Christ, away from the world's tender ministrations to drag us off course. Verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyous. Nobody likes being disciplined. I get that. You don't want to go through difficulties. When I tell you you're going to, you don't want to hear that. But it's a reality and to prepare for a reality is better than to be blindsided by it. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyous but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Do you hear that? All discipline, the bad stuff that we're talking about going through as Christians, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You know where peace is found? Peace is found in righteousness. There's been a lot of wars over the years and one side wins or the other. And the side that wins gets to write the history about how the war was fought, why it was started, etc., It may not be true and for a generation or three, they know it's not true, but the side that wins the war gets to write the history. Hear me now. Righteousness will win the war. And ultimately, you will be found to either be right or not. And in that, there is great peace. The righteousness of him bestowed upon us by Jesus Christ and living out of that righteousness in that there is great peace. Even in the midst of great trials, even burned alive, even shredded by lions, and even if, you know, you lose a job or you don't get a compliment that you wanted or your relationship is a little rough because you're trying to put God first and the other person isn't. Because that peaceful fruit of righteousness is what we desire, he then says in verse 12, therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. God understands that you're messed up, I'm messed up, right? God knows that we are but dust. But God asks this of you, that in the moment of your question, in the moment of your trial, in the moment of your difficulty, in the moment of your decision, that you would step up, that you would be strong, that you would take what you have and put it into the mix. So often people go, oh, I'm struggling in my finances. But they don't take 100% of their money and put it under God's care. They go, I'm struggling in my relationship. But they don't put their mouth, their attitudes, the way they treat the other person in God's charge and do it God's way. So it doesn't get the healing and the peace that righteousness brings. Back to 12 real quick. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Step up, be strong, do whatever you can with whatever you have. To what? Make straight paths for your feet so that the limb, which is lame, that part of you that's messed up, whatever it is, may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Verse 14, and we're almost there. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification, that means the holiness or being set apartness, the saintedness, if you will, without which no one will see the Lord. Hold on. 
pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. In other words, if you are not different, if you are not breaking out of the mold of the world, if you are not made clean and useful by God, you will not see God. Now, it doesn't mean you won't literally stand before him in judgment. It means you will not spend your life with him in eternity and you will not recognize him at work today. It'll come and go. Every times where he gets your attention. But you'll be so often going, oh, I didn't see that. I didn't, I didn't realize. I didn't know. Oh, I made a mistake. Oh, I should have. Oh, why not do this? Oh, no, it's too late to do that now. I should have listened. I should have done what God wanted me to do. Verse 15. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Defiled means made useless or made unclean to God. 16. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau. And this, here comes, in case you thought how, just how important this passage of scripture is and how much emphasis we need to put on it. Listen to how this ends, going 16, 17. Back to the beginning of 16. It says, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. Now the story of Esau is that indeed he was, he was the favored one of God. He was the older child. He was the one who should have, by all rights, received everything. Except God wanted to use Jacob. In fact, later, uh, elsewhere, it says, you know, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Esau sold his birthright, came in out of the field, and sold his birthright to his brother for a bowl of hot soup. He disrespected the gift that he had, not knowing exactly how awesome it was, probably, and I think we're in that place too. He disrespected the gift that he had and gave it away for a bowl of soup. He said, he said, what good is my birthright to? I'm so hungry, I could die. Maybe he was three days, five days, seven days. He was in the field for a number of days hunting and it didn't go well. So he was really hungry. And he's like, I'm going to sell my birthright for a bowl of soup. And then when his father is on his deathbed and he goes in and after Jacob has stolen also his blessings, or he got his birthright then and then later kind of Jacob sort of stole the blessing, he goes in and his father says, there's nothing for you. There's nothing left. I gave it all to your brother. And it was right that it should be so because Esau did not respect what had been done, who he was, what was coming to him. You remember last week we talked about the, in the future, there, because we see a future with God, we build that, the future moment into our lives today. Your future hinges on whether or not you're going to do today what it is that God wants you to do today. Whether or not you're going to be today the person that God wants you to be today. Your future hinges on that. You've heard the, the people talk, talk about money and stuff and they say, you know, uh, do you drink coffee? Yeah, well, how much money do you spend on coffee this week? Well, I spend uh, $4 when I go get a coffee because, you know, got to get the fancy ones. And I spend those $4 uh, four times a week. And so you do the math. You say, well, four times a week, $4 for coffee, that's $16. Uh, times 52 weeks out of the year, um, you get up there. And the person's like, well, I can't pay my rent this month. Well, see, if you stop drinking coffee, you'd have the money. 
Why can't I buy a used car? If you stop drinking coffee in two years, you'd have enough money to buy a fairly nice used car for coffee money. But when you're buying the coffee, or when you're buying the fast food, or you're buying the games, or you're buying the entertainment, or you're buying the streaming service, or you're buying the nicer clothes when you already have clothes, or you're buying a nicer car when you already have a car, when you're saving for retirement or whatever, you're doing all those things and you're getting, you're like, this is working, this is great, I'm getting what I want. Realize that what you're doing right now is determining what's going to happen there. And don't say to yourself that in that moment in time, if I have not done what's right, I'll go to God and I'll say, oh, I'm so sorry, God. And God will forgive me and remove the consequences of my unwillingness to spend today building my eternity. Now, Jesus is preparing a place for you. He says, I go prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come and then I will take you to be there with me. And I'm not saying that's not going to happen. But there is a desire by the Lord, is what we're reading in this text, for you to be participant today in the building of the kingdom of God, which ultimately is the city that God is building in heaven for you. All right, so there's three kind of key, very important things that I want you to see in here. Um, the first one is I want to ask you, and it's a rhetorical question, you don't have to answer me, but you can definitely think about it in your head, and that is, how can you be too smart for your own good? The writers, the writer and the readers of Hebrew had a, a context in which they're talking. This is a Christian book written by a Christian individual, man or woman, to a Christian folk. And we are talking in that context today. If you would claim the name of Jesus Christ and you would say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for my sins, I, that means he's your Savior. And you say, I believe in him as Lord. I believe he was the Son of God in the flesh and, and I, uh, God the Son in the flesh. So I believe he has the right as creator of the universe to order my life, to tell me what to do and I'll do it. So he's Lord. So he's Savior and he's Lord. And you believe that God raised him from the dead and you have believed that in your heart and confessed it with your mouth, then you are saved. And if you would repent of any dullness of hearing or any being off the way, you can understand this teaching just as the author of Hebrews knew they could understand it. It could have been written to us today. How can you be too smart for your own good? As humans, we've become pretty good at avoiding suffering, at avoiding difficulties, seeing, developing problems. Problem starts to develop, it's not going the way I like it, and I think, how can I avoid that difficulty? And everyone in this room is pretty smart. And so we say, well, if the difficulty is, car breaks down on the side of the expressway because I got a flat tire, and and I don't want to have to call a tow truck, then I'm going to need a spare and a jack, and I need to make sure they work. And I probably ought to make sure my lug nuts are, you know, not seized on there because I might not be strong enough to do that. So periodically get your tires rotate, things like that. And then you get a flat tire on the side of the expressway and you go digging in the trunk, hopefully not buried under too much stuff. And you pull the tire and the jack out and you take the old tire off, you put the new tire on and then you're back on the road and you go. Because we can see some problems developing and we can take the necessary actions to avoid them. Hear me. Some problems that are developing, they're not developing so that you can avoid them. They're developing so that you can walk boldly into them in the confidence that we talked about two weeks ago and bring Christ into that scenario. 
And if you're doing what it is that God would have you to do, more often than not, if you're not dull of hearing and you're not off the way and you're literally walking out your salvation, more often than not, you're going to be in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that difficulty or suffering on that very dangerous place before you even know it. I remember when we were back over on Main Street on Friday and I was having trouble. I'm having the same trouble that I'm having now, making visits and trying to talk to people about Jesus. And I decided on Friday nights, instead of going to game night, Every other week, they were game night every week, but every other week I decided instead of going there, I would go out on the north end over by our church plant at that time and I would knock on doors starting about 7 o'clock. And then fall came and it was getting dark about 7, 7.30 and I was knocking on doors after dark and I, and I was sh- trying to share the gospel, trying to talk to people about Jesus, trying to uh, invite them to come to worship, come to the Lord and so on. And I did that for like six months. The end of which it was so dark by like 5.30 that I was starting after dark. And I had trouble finding house numbers. I had trouble seeing on porches that didn't have porch lights and so on. And, and the Lord sort of led me to do things differently. And I started doing the visitation when it was lighter out, whatever. Afterwards, I talked to our church planner, uh, Rick Morris, and I told him what I'd been doing. And he, now Rick is a big guy. He's very physically fit. He works out literally like every day, five days a week. And he has a personal trainer ministry and all this. And, um, and he's, he's had some health concerns in the past, and that's a big thing. Rick spent over 20 years in prison. He got saved out of drug dealing. He's a pretty rough-looking guy. And I told him, I said, I was going out on Friday nights uh, every other week for six months, and I was knocking on doors over there. And he went like this. And I said, what? He said, let me get this straight. He said, like, off Galena, the north end, you were over there knocking on doors? And I said, yeah. And he said, dude, white men don't go to that part of town after dark. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, and, and he said, especially not white men who look like you. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, what, what does that mean? What, what do I look like exactly? He goes, he goes, you know, kind of frail. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I mean, like, I swear I ate my vegetables when I was a kid. I don't know why this happened to me. But anyway, the point is, he's like, you don't do that. They will literally, people will shoot you from the window of their house and you won't know which house shot you. And no one will be convicted. And I'm like, well, that didn't happen. If you're walking in the confidence in Christ that we talked about last week, you will suddenly find yourself in a difficult spot. You will suddenly find yourself outside your box so far that you can't find the box anymore. You'll go, what happened to that box? Where did it go? I was feeling more comfortable there. I I tucked my little binky in there and, and I haven't seen it in months. And that's where you'll live your life. You'll live your life outside the box so far that you're like, oh, I'm a little freaked, but at the same time, I'm a little super, this is awesome. And that's what we're being called to in Christianity. But we're so smart. We've figured out so many ways to justify the various excuses that answer the questions that might arise. So many ways to plot the path around the the, the quagmire that look, that is the world, that is... So many ways to not share Jesus. So many ways to not bring Jesus into the conversation. So many ways to not make an illustration about faith. So many ways to not mention a Bible verse. We're, we're busy not memorizing verses in case we would actually accidentally slip one into conversation. We don't want anybody to know. And we're really good about that because if we were out there telling people about Jesus all the time, here's what's going to happen. You're going to run into more people that don't want to hear about it, they get mad at you for bringing it up, that say nasty things, you're going to surround yourself with people who use vulgarity in every sentence, and you don't even like to hear that anymore because you've been cleansed from that. You're going to find yourself persecuted, and you're going to have to persevere, and guess what? 
That's literally Christianity. Yes, the cool thing is, this is also Christianity. It's cool. We listen to the word, we worship, we sing songs together, we serve one another, we show up when one another is need, we give money, and then that money is used to get the gospel throughout the whole world, and also right here, and, and to buy groceries for people who are hungry, so you can come to your church, or you run into somebody that doesn't have food, you come to your church and you talk to Jamie, and you, I'll guarantee that person will eat within an hour of her hearing that there's no food in that house. I guarantee it. We don't have to wonder about that, because our church shows up. That's what we do. Yet, when we go out there alone, or we go out there with a brother, it's not our go-to to go to Jesus. Because there's trouble. Because this life in Jesus is hard. And we're smart. And we're too smart to let it be hard. We have just a little bit of money in the bank, just enough to make sure that things are going to be taken care of. So we're too smart to give until it hurts. Except that's the New Testament example of giving. We have enough time to rest, enough time to eat right, enough time to spend a little time with our family, enough time to do a little bit of ministry. Now we've got a half-decent balance being established. Now we're too smart to surrender our entertainment time, to surrender our relaxation, to get up an extra hour and a half early, knowing that at the end of the workday we're going to be very tired, to spend a little time with the Lord, to pray to be in His Word. We're too smart to when we wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning not knowing why we woke up to get up and sit up and turn on the light or get a flashlight or whatever to pull on our glasses and whip out our Bible and start reading. Oh no, because we know we'll be tired the next day so we go right back to sleep if we can. And if not, we lay there and rest. It's not about God. This is what God says. I'm not going to flip to these passages but I just want to share a few things on this topic with you. In Job 5.13, it says, He captures the wise by their own shrewdness, and the advice of the cunning is quickly thwarted. You're smart. God's smarter. 1 Corinthians 3.19 says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. Luke 20.23, Jesus is actually involved, and he it says He de- de- detected their trickery and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness does it have? They said Caesar's. Then render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. I, I ask you, by the way, who has, where do you find God's likeness? You're created in his image, right? To represent him. So go ahead, render your taxes and then give literally everything else to God. All that you are. That's surely not how they interpreted it. They were too smart to interpret it that way. Second Corinthians 4.2 But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. This is maybe one of the worst sins that Christians get into. They take the word of God and they misinterpret it to be the way that they like it. They will, they'll even take out this, it's going to be hard message that the author of Hebrews clearly put in there. And they'll say, no, it's going to be easy because I said so. Because here God says, I'll always be with you even unto the end of the age. So obviously it's going to be easy, right? I'll turn everything out for your good. So obviously it's going to be easy right? So they'll make it out to be an easy instead of a challenging passage, course, life. He says, but we have 
renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves, that means putting ourselves up, remember that confidence, it means showing yourself to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Every man's, not just Christians. You don't just get to teach the lessons of Christ in Sunday school on your one time a month, or you don't get to teach the lessons of Christ when you stand up in the pulpit. You don't get to just do it during an inspirational moment or while you're singing a praise, singing, singing a praise song that is the song that's going to drive home the point for you. Not just then, but every day in every man's conscience we commend ourselves so that they can see us so that we can point to God and all this is done in the sight of God. Ephesians 4.14 says, As a result, we are no longer children to be we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. By the way, that passage is talking about the results of being the church and together and working together in ministry and acting out the roles that we each have. Because we do that, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men. And you can put smartness or craftiness in there if you wanted to, and that where it says trickery. By craftiness and deceitful scheming. No, no. Stop it. The games you're playing, trying to make an end run around what's right, trying to avoid suffering and difficulty, stop. God will catch you in it. And if he catches you in it, you just may get the consequences for it. And, and you'll be defiled, which means not usable by him. And if you never were clean, because you hadn't accepted him as Lord and Savior and believed that God raised him from the dead, both in your heart and by your profession of faith, by your mouth, then you'll never make it into heaven. But if you did accept Jesus and then live like that, you're never going to make it into the deeper teachings. You're dull of hearing or off the way. And then amidst the deeper teachings, when the difficulties come, you're going to wonder for sure, am I saved? Because it shouldn't be like this. Second thing in there to see then is how to understand and interpret the bumps in the road. Now, obviously, this passage of Scripture is not fully conclusive on every difficulty you're ever going to face. It simply says that God sends a lot of difficulty and that through that difficulty that God sends, it is so that we endure. He deals with us as sons and we receive the peace that righteousness brings. How to understand bumps in the roads? Well, bumps in the roads uh, could be chastisements, corrections, could be punishments, could be consequences, could be the groaning of creation. It could just simply be time and chance happen to all men, like it says in Ecclesiastes 9. Regardless of what the source of difficulty is, there's really just one answer, right? I hope you know that. If you're a Christian, you should know that. Regardless of what the source of difficulty is, there's just one answer, and that is repent and turn unto the Lord. You say, but if somebody's persecuting me and I'm getting hurt, why should I repent? Because the experience of being persecuted is a challenging one. You could develop psychological issues. You could develop emotional struggles. You could develop spiritual struggles. And for all of that, there is only one solution. Turn to the Lord. It doesn't matter whether you did it to somebody else or somebody else did it to you. Your response is the same. Turn again to the Lord. Lord, I've been through some difficulty. Now teach me out of this. The author of Hebrews says, this, says it this way. He says, in the midst of those difficulties or trials, I want you to shore up, get a grip, get firm, get strong, push back and do the things that God would have you to do. We do that so that no root of bitterness would develop, so that no person will become an immoral person like Esau. 
If you are not willing to step up and be strong and do the things that God would have you to do in the midst of those trials, you run the risk of going a different way. And if you go a different way, that goes a different place. Very briefly, I'm going to read an excerpt from a book so we can just understand this word. There are differences between punishment, discipline, and consequences. Punishment is condemning. It says you did wrong. Now you've got to pay the price. It is about the person who committed the crime or the sin. Jesus took our punishment on the cross. So ultimately, as Christians, we no longer receive punishments for our sin. Not corporally now or in heaven. Right? After death. The punishment is taken care of. Discipline is correcting. It says, you shouldn't have done that. Now in the future, you're going to do this instead. Right? It's like conviction, but it's actual steps taken. So you stole, um, and God brings it out that you stole. Maybe you go to jail. That's actually um, consequences then would be going to jail. Or maybe people don't trust you now. That's consequences. Or you feel pain. That's consequences. Or you feel guilt. Like you did that. God doesn't use guilt, by the way. That can be consequences of doing something wrong. But God doesn't do that. God convicts. God says, there's no punishment. But there is definitely discipline. And if there is no discipline, there is no salvation. And then he says that we are, have all become partakers of that discipline. So if you think that God's not going to discipline you when you do something wrong, your only hope that that's actually true is if you don't actually belong to God. And I don't think that's what you want. Now, punishment and discipline are two different things, right? Punishment is correction. Punishment is about making the person who did something wrong pay for their debt. They stole, they pay back, they broke, they fix, they, they borrowed and didn't return, they replace, right? A child lies, they get a spanking. It's a punishment, but if it's only a punishment, then it's not good parenting because it really should be discipline. They get the spanking, and they're told with the spanking that they can do what they need to do in the future. That the reason they got spanked was because they are better than that. They are a better person. They can do better. They don't have to do that. They don't have to be like that. And, and they're told about the damaging consequences of continuing to be like that. So if, if punishment is only discipline, then it has no value. I'm sorry, if discipline is only punishment, then it has no value. But if discipline builds a future person better, then it has value. And that's what God is doing for us. He says, get a grip. Remember Jacob. Remember Moses on his knees, pleading with God for his people. Remember Abraham courageously bartering with God to save Sodom. If only there'd be some righteous men found there. Remember David writing the words, you make me lie down by still waters, anoint my head with oil, fill my cup, prepare a table in the presence of my enemies, and more. Remember the second mighty man of David who was abandoned in the face of the enemy. Uh, it says, And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David. When they defiled the Philistines who were gathered there to battle, the man of Israel had withdrawn. He arose and struck the Philistines until his hand was weary and clung to the sword, or froze to his sword. And the Lord bought, brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him to strip the slain. And they had to pry his sword out of his hand, because in the midst of that, when it was just him against all of them, he fought, and every time he thought he might stop fighting, he gripped his sword tighter 
It isn't easy to live here on earth. It hasn't been since Adam sinned against God. All the reasons would take a lifetime to understand and then probably wouldn't be transferable wisdom because your reasons are not somebody else's reasons. But the responses God desires are simple. So simple it becomes painful. Get a grip and do what God would have you to do. There will always be a reason. You're that smart. You will always come up with some way to waffle, some way to back down, some way to slip through, some way to avoid the trial. There will always be a reason if you are the kind of person who will tolerate a reason. And as Christians, we are asked to be the kind of people who will not tolerate a reason. When we are asked to stop doing what God would have us to do, we already know our answer. It is no. When we are asked to start doing something that God would not have us to do, we already know our answer. It is no. And exactly how far do you resist? You resist until you bleed. Even die. That's the cloud of witnesses that we have. They all died awaiting the promise of God and we're never able to see it in their lifetime. And that for us, so that we could be included in receiving the promise with them. But if you brook no opposition, if you will cast out the enemy at the first rearing of his ugly head, you will win the day and be the person that God has made you to be a little more each day. And sometimes in leaps and bounds. The author of Hebrews wrote, and we read, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. But four to five hundred years earlier than the author of Hebrews, the prophet Malachi wrote this. He says, but for you who fear my name, the son, S-U-N, not talking about Jesus, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. The road to righteousness is a road that runs past discipline and correction when and where it's necessary. Usually, Always. But it leads to not just righteousness, but healing. Healing lives in the shadow of righteousness. The things that you want, that you're trying to get for yourself, the avoiding difficulty and troubles, there won't be any difficulty and troubles in heaven. You're clamming up, you're building up armor to not be sad, to not allow your compassion button to be pushed so you don't struggle for the people that are around you. There's none of that in heaven. We're either on a journey there or we're not. And if we are, we need to realize that this earth is full of suffering and we're meant to do something about it. Most of the programs from the New Deal we only have because the church didn't show up and make sure everyone was fed and clothed and working and whatever. The church didn't do it, so the government stepped in and did it. To the tune of trillions of dollars. And now the church is too weak to do it. And that brings us to our last point. The author of Hebrews talks about one, quote, turn back, unquote, too far. One turn back too far. And the author of Hebrews implies that the next one could be that one. The next time you sin against God, being a willing participant in that which you're not supposed to do, the next time you find an excuse not to do what God would have you to do, 
because I'll bleed or because I'll suffer or because I'll go without or because I won't get what I want or because my kids will be in danger or because my house will be in danger or because my finances you know, won't go long enough to buy certain things that I'm looking to, to buy now or down the road or whatever. Whatever your excuses are, you say, well, no one should have to do that. And it's perfectly reasonable to go to a place where you're going to have to then turn back and say, okay, God, I'm sorry I didn't do what I was supposed to do. But the author of Hebrews talks about one turn back too far. There is a moment in time at which you do what it is that you know you shouldn't do, and then you try to repent and turn back to God. And the author of Hebrews is talking about a time at which God will say, no, I'm done with you. I have tried again and again and again to get you to give again and again and again to get you to serve again and again and again to get you to speak up. I have sent people who were thirsty in their soul for me who I'd call unto myself and all you had to do was bring up the name of Jesus and they would ask you questions about Christianity and you had literally nothing to say. I'm done with you. Malachi, they, they were chastised by God because their tears were raining down on the altar. God is not going to put up with this lack of Christianity in Christians forever. You've got to do what God wants you to do and you've got to not do what God doesn't want you to do and you're going to have to make those decisions. This is not me. This is the author of Hebrews. But I wholly agree and I am deathly afraid that I would ever go to the point of one turn back too many and then come back to God and say, okay, God, I'm sorry. Please bless my life. Please lead me. Please guide me. Please show me what to do. Please talk to me like you used to do. Please lead me into the situations that will be difficult so I can be the light and be the confident person there that I'm supposed to be. Like you said, I should in the first place. And God's going to say, no, I said, and you didn't. And I said, and you didn't. And I don't know if it's going to be one strike, three strikes, 50 strikes, or 100 strikes. And I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about being in the deeper teachings of God and understanding what God is about and hearing God's voice and walking out Christianity. And God says, it's okay. You don't have to do it anymore. I got somebody else or we just won't let it be done. Because I'm sick and tired of asking you and you say no to me. That's what the author of Hebrews is talking about when he says, remember Esau? Here's a guy who had virtually everything. A big, ruddy, mighty warrior, a successful hunter. And he had his father's favor. And he was due to get the blessing and the birthright. But he gave it up. He gave it up and always for a reason that made sense at the time. But then, when he went to get some portion from his father, he got nothing. There was no room left for him to receive a blessing or a birthright. That's what the author of Hebrews is talking about. There is one turn back too far. I was driving through the city of London. These thoughts came back to me this week as I was helping Isaiah learn how to drive a stick shift. And I remembered very poignantly my time driving in London and, and I had to drive a left-handed stick shift instead of a right-handed stick shift. And the shifters are normally over here in American cars and you drive on the right side of the road and the traffic's kind of over there and over uh, in London. You know, the shifter was on the left-hand side and I kept trying to shift the door handle and it didn't work so I had to shift the shifter on the left-hand side and it was very confusing to me and we were driving, we were going out to the along the coastline when Sherry and I were there for our 25th wedding anniversary and as we were driving out of the sea we got in this horrible traffic jam and it was 
we were moving about five to ten mile per hour bumper to bumper for 45 minutes. And if you're driving, if you know, that's the worst time to be driving a stick shift because you're constantly first gear, got to match the clutch and the gas and get going again. And then you got to stop and get going again and got to stop and get going again. And it was like that for 45 minutes. I was literally stopping every 15 seconds for 45 minutes. My legs, my thighs were burning. My arms were burning. But we needed to get out of town and it was only going to get worse because it was the first part of rush hour. So we knew we might not even get out of town if we didn't do it. And then we're following the GPS, which was built into the car. And the GPS says, turn left. And I look left. And the only thing that looks like left is like a driveway with cars parked on both sides. And there was enough room to get our car down the driveway with about an inch or maybe two on either side of the car. And I thought, that can't be right. That doesn't even look like a road. And it said, turn left there. And so I said, it's got to be coming up. You know, sometimes GPS says 1,000 feet. And like in 500 feet, I'm looking for the road. And 600 feet, I'm looking for the road. And I'm start by 1,000 feet, I'm thinking, I don't think the road's coming. And then there it is, right? So it's because I don't have a good estimate of how far away that 1,000 feet is. So I'm thinking, that can't be right. And I didn't turn left down that tiny little road that I thought was a driveway with cars parked up on both sides and barely enough room to get through. And I didn't turn left. That's why we were in a in a traffic jam for 45 minutes because after failing to turn left there, there was literally not another left turn for over three miles. There was nowhere to turn. It was a university and there were buildings lining the road and there was nowhere to turn left. Sometimes if you don't turn when you're supposed to turn, there ain't going to be a way to turn for a long time, maybe ever. And God is saying you may go one turn back too far. This message is not for people who are lost. For lost people, there's, there's no... If they haven't turned back, they haven't turned back. If they haven't accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they haven't. And that's always available to them until they die. Right? Just Jesus is always entreating them, always pulling them. But once they die, then it's hell for an eternity. And I can't do anything about that. That's not, not anybody's fault, but the choice that they've made. This is for Christians. This is for people who are following the Lord. And, and then you do what you're not supposed to do. And you go, oh... Again, what if you go one turn back too far? What if you go, oh, again, and then you go, but God, please, and God says, no, it's all right. Don't worry about it. I got, I really have nothing left for you. I've tried to give you all these blessings and you wouldn't take them. I tried to give you all this power and authority and working of me in your life and you wouldn't take them. You're one turn back too far. God's not holding back his blessings. Take what God's offering or there may be no room for repentance and receiving blessings when you finally reluctantly decide to honestly come to God. There may not be any room to do that. The lesson learned here today for anybody who's not saved, of course, is don't wait. You can wait if you want to, as long as Jesus doesn't come again first or you don't die. You're only missing out on the great blessings of, of God in your life, on the great healing and forgiveness of sin and peace that comes out of His righteousness. And all. You're only missing out on all that. And you didn't have it yesterday. So if you don't have it today, you can still wait unless Jesus comes again or unless you die, then you're in trouble. Right? But as for Christians, there's no waiting. All in for Jesus right now. Because that's where all the blessings are. It's where the righteousness, the power, the growth the ability to do the things that God would have you to do, the peace and healing that comes from righteousness. Don't go to the place later where you want to say, oh, I should have got a grip. I should have strengthened my, my weak knees and lifted my weary arms and just done in truth what I was called to do. I'll review very briefly and then we're in the conclusion, which is short. Number one, 
Let me just say it this way. Don't be too smart for your own good. Dismiss the excuses and the scheming and the trickery. Dismiss all the reasons that arise to not do what it is that God would have you to do. Number two, understand that the bumps in the road can come from all kinds of places, but the simple solution is to repent and turn to the Lord. God disciplines us. He doesn't punish us. And then also, I think there are consequences that we sometimes face the consequences for our sin, and sometimes God miraculously alleviates those consequences for our sin. But if there is no discipline, then there is no relationship. And don't go one turn back too far. Because this life that the author of Hebrews is talking about is us living in the kingdom of God, advancing the kingdom of God, filled with His power, knowing that He who is in us is greater than He that is in the world. It's everything. It's everything. And we come to the conclusion. There will always be an excuse or an adjustment if you look for it. The fact is that you are just that smart. Created in the image of God, you can both create and destroy. You can encourage and tear down. You're just that smart. God wants you to get strong and go straight. He wants you to do things the best possible way, a way that is good for you and right by Him. By the book, living for the one who died for you, not for the you that died. Or if He died for all, then all died. So that those who live may now live for the one who died for them rather than for themselves. But don't forget the bike. Because in this deep water, after the transition, you can choke on this meat if you want to. And you can continue making minor adjustments and try to avoid the effects of what we're talking about here today. And eventually the bike will explode out from underneath of you. You'll blow up your relationship one final time and say, I just can't deal with it, I'm just done. Or you'll blow up your job, or you'll blow up your money, or you'll blow up your reputation. Because that's easier. Bailing out is easier. It's less painful. But if you take that craftiness, that same craftiness that allows you to make excuses and kind of cut corners, make yourself feel better in other ways, and instead, pit it to figuring out who you are in Christ and what it is that God wants you to do. And what does that verse mean? And how do I apply it? How do I become that person? How do I find room in my schedule to read my Bible and to pray and to share with anybody who will listen? If you'll use that same creative craftiness that you, that you might be using to circumvent the struggles, if you'll use that instead to live for God, Imagine the power in that alone. But then he's going to take that craftiness and he's going to regenerate it. It's being used now for something that doesn't honor him. He's going to regenerate it and he's going to make it holy. And you will come to the point like when Saul was first unleashed to be king of Israel before he became actually uh, coronated. And he said, Samuel said, just go and do whatever your hand finds to do. Say whatever your mouth finds to say. And Saul who would be the king who would eventually be disowned by his nation and the priesthood for all of his sins later. That day, he prophesied on behalf of God and everyone listened. Everybody knew that he was speaking for God. That day, he was so filled with the power of the Holy Spirit because he could do anything. He was unleashed. 
But then he turned from God and he turned back and he turned from God and he turned back and he turned from God and he turned back until finally he got to a place where he was one turn back too far. Don't be there. Don't go there. Turn back to God this time. As long as it's not one turn back too far, unleash his power in your life. Let him do what he would do. And I'm sad to say, but not really, that it might hurt at times. But out of that pain comes righteousness. And out of that righteousness comes a healing like we have never known. God help us. I'm going to pray for you briefly and then we're going to have a song of uh, close and invitation to close our service today. I'm going to be completely transparent. In my human self, I am a coward. In Christ there is great courage and confidence. I made a lot of mistakes. We've all made them. And I've had to turn back to God a whole bunch of times. I'm not saying you're going to get it perfect. What I am saying is that God has a perfect plan. If you turn to Him, He'll begin to unleash it in your life. Now, my story, as the author of the book of Hebrews, has inspired the Holy Spirit of God because God Himself wrote these words. Let's pray. God in heaven, help us this day. In a day when we are surrounded by people, and we, we live in a city where the nearest neighbor doesn't live very far away at all. And it's our neighbors, our co-workers, our fellow students, and the lady at the grocery store, in the restaurant, in the supply store, walking the other way on the sidewalk. They all need you, the same as we do. Lord, I believe that New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo, that this people here, you are calling us to be a light, to be a city on a hill, to be outreaching, to be sharing the gospel, to be loving our neighbors and our family members who don't already know you or, or who haven't gone deeper in the faith. As a, it is both a terrifying and at the same time a truly joyous thing. They're small. But Paul is just one man. David is one man. John, Peter, was, we're even good men. None of them. Not even me. Lord, help us be that which you're calling us to be. Help us shore up our weak knees. Not be afraid of outcomes that we can't control, but to submit those outcomes back into your hands. If you want to take us out of this world, come be with you. Truth is, I'm pretty excited about that day. Sure, I'll, I'll miss lots of things that I foresee coming, but I'm asking you to teach me, and I think we all might be doing the same. At least, at least there are others in this room who certainly are. Teach me how to endure. To stop using my craftiness to try to dodge my responsibilities. Teach me how to be clean and right, be truly healed and set free. Jesus, take the throne of my life. Be my Lord. Show me what to do. When I don't understand it, you want to put me right in the midst of it, and me all, all of a sudden go, whoa, where am I at right now? Just just have me doing the right thing when that time comes. If there'd be somebody here who had not submitted their life to Jesus Christ, or if there'd be somebody here who needs to make this their home church for the first time ever, if there'd be somebody here who needs to be baptized, or if there'd be somebody here who needs to start a ministry, they, they, they realize they know what it is that God wants them to do, they know how God wants them to serve, maybe they're being called to knock on the doors around their house, to volunteer themselves with prayer or service or, 
or to tell somebody where they were, or to put something that's eating up their time or eating up their resources, it should be used for you to put that out of their life completely. And Lord, help us to turn to you today and receive in us that completion that only you can offer. That we would be saved, that we would be widely open to your work in every area of our life, that we would face the difficulties with you as our Savior, and as our protector, and as our commander, and as our Father. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask the praise team to come forward. Lead us in the singing of this last hymn. If you're comfortable and able to do so, would you stand as we sing? And give God all the glory. Show us your way every day, regardless of 
the decisions that we make, Lord, I pray that you would continue to to carry with us. Yes, God. That we would uh, be given that time to to come to you in proper. And Lord, I pray that all people on this earth would come to that decision to come to know you. But Lord, I know there's a time coming that when you're going to have to draw the line and that you will have to send your son to this world to, to, to come again and to claim his church. Lord, there will be a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth that day. And I'm sorry, but Lord, help us to, to love you yes. and to show you and to show you to the, the masses, to the people, and just help us to, to follow you and to, to tell others about you. Father, bless this day. Thank you for this message. Thank you for our pastor and his family. Lord, they work so hard. Thank you for all those that, that do the ministry that you set before them, Lord. Um, I pray that you will be with each and individual person and family in this room. All those that are online watching, Lord, represented, I pray for them as well, that you'll protect us, that you'll heal us, that you'll keep us safe, and that you'll bring us back together again, Lord, in the appropriate time to worship you and to see your will done. Yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, all those messages, all these messages, you come up on the podcast. So if you're behind and you want to grab one, uh, you can. If you need the address.